It's about time because we're going there. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of We're Going There. I am your host, Bianca Wattis Oltoff, and I want to talk about waiting. Actually, I don't want to talk about waiting because it's a thing that I don't want to do. But on today's podcast, if you are in a season of waiting, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Not only do we get to sit down with licensed mental health therapist, author, writer, and creative Barb Hill, we get to sit down with a personal friend of mine. I love Barb. We've worked together and she's done such a phenomenal job at helping people navigate faith and mental health. In addition to us working together, she was an intern at an anti-human trafficking organization that I worked for for a number of years, and she actually worked on the In the Name of Love team for a number of years before she opened up her own private practice in Franklin, Tennessee. It's right outside of Nashville. Uh, She is a trauma therapist, and she oversees and supervises other therapists in their clinical work. I love Barb. She's a phenomenal friend, and we've been talking about this idea of waiting and bringing art and therapy together, and Barb has come out with an amazing resource called Seasons of Waiting, an Invitation to Hope. It's actually a 52-week devotional that releases November 8th. You can check it out. I highly encourage you. I hope that this podcast inspires you, um, releases you from maybe some of the guilt that you're experiencing in this season of waiting. And what Barb does is help people transform and reorient our heart and mind so that we can embrace a fruitful season of waiting one that empowers us to live wholeheartedly. For more information on Barb, you can check out barbhill.com and follow her on social media. I hope you enjoy the interview. Barb, welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Okay, okay. So one thing that I just, I feel like we have to include in this episode is you and I are friends like in real life. Mm-hmm. And so we've known each other for a couple years. And so I'm going to do a game, a pop quiz game to test you on how much you know about our friendship. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. Barb, what do you think my favorite memory of you is? Oh, gosh. I'm sure your favorite memory of me is, is when you hit a car or something and I just started Okay. 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 The context is needed here. So I was speaking at a church and you, we were on, we were on the road. We were, we were on tour for the book and you came with me and you at the time were on team at, in the name of love. And you were sitting in the passenger seat and I was in the driver's seat and I was reversing and it was night. And I didn't realize that there was actually, um, it like a a concrete, like small thing that I didn't see behind me. And we were in a rental car and the fender was like so thin and so cheap. It was like plexiglass that they told, we just hear this crunch. Now, for those that can't see Barbara Hill, she's actually, her name is indicative of how she is. She's tender. She's sweet. She has soft, dewy waves and she has high cheekbones. And today, today, friends, is her birthday. So when I tell you that this girl got out of the car and all of her Baltimore came out because I have never heard Barbara Hill cuss in my whole entire life. <laughs> this girl had the mouth of a sailor and she was freaking out. And it was my ultimate favorite memory of you oh ever, 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 ever. And oh. okay. So, okay. Second favorite memory of you. Oh, I don't think you're going to get this one because this one's, this one's a little bit hard, but I just am being nosy. Mm. Oh, gosh, this is tough because I'm thinking of all of our moments of almost missing flights or eating Mexican food. So it could be yes. any one of those times. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a hint. I'll okay. give you the hint by telling you what it is. <laughs> we were in Chicago and it was on the book tour and you met Dr. Deborah Gorton, who was on the show previously. And 
um, your life, your whole life changed. You met her, you went to grad school, you became a licensed therapist. You are killing the game in Nashville, Tennessee. Your practice is exploding. And to see you as you are my friend, but also a sister, not just like a sister in Christ, but like we've done some yards together and I'm so proud of you. And there's so much things that I want to just celebrate and honor you in your life, especially because today's your birthday. So thank you for being on the show. Happy birthday. You are your real life friend and I'm grateful for you. Oh, thank you, B. I mean, the other part that I remember that to that memory is leading up to that trip. You and I were praying like that yeah. week leading up to that trip to Chicago. So you were definitely in the trenches there with me. I love you. I'm so proud of you. And I'm excited to talk about something that you are not just passionate about, but you've lived through and you have it's really been part and parcel of your life. And so I start with all these amazing things. Today's your birthday. You have this flourishing therapeutic practice in Nashville, Tennessee. You just bought a house. And yet there has been some disappointment in life. And I think this is a tension where a lot of us find ourselves in, where there are a lot of things that are great. And then there's a lot of things that are disappointing. As a licensed therapist first, we're going to talk about Barb in a second, but as a licensed therapist, how do we how do we handle these seasons where there is a lot of good, but then there's also a lot of of grief. And I think that grief sometimes comes in like the waiting. Can you unpack this a little bit from us from a therapeutic standpoint? Mm-hmm, for sure. So I think when we think of the word grief or, um, yeah, the word grief in particular, we assume that it might only mean that we would experience that when we lose something that we had. But I think the other side to that coin is that we also grieve when we don't yet have something that we're hoping for or that we're desiring Mm. or longing for. And that's where there's this really strong relationship between grief and waiting. Because if we're waiting, we're grieving. Um, Because there is some area of our lives that's unoccupied. And that unoccupied area of our lives brings grief into our lives. And I think it's a really important perspective because I, I think if just like most things, if we don't name it, then we're either frustrated with ourselves if we're hurting in a certain area, or we even feel ashamed about this pain that we're carrying that is unnamed. But if we can name that, oh, if, if you are waiting for something, that means you're grieving um, because there's an area of your life that, um, hasn't been fulfilled yet or is unoccupied. Barb, this is so, this is, I mean, you already took us, we were swimming in the kiddie pool with like pop quiz questions and now we're in the deep end and I'm here for it. I love it. Okay, so you said something before we jump on to the next uh, question because I, I, I want to talk about this this topic of waiting and what do we do in the waiting? Not just from a therapeutic standpoint, but I actually want to hear like from your perspective as well. But you said naming it. So I get this language, you know, I love me some good therapy. I have done the work, but, but for somebody that's out there listening right now and they, and they hear you say, name it, what does that process look like? Because I want, I really want to go like straight to the foundation, straight to the bare bottom. Like how do we grieve this season of waiting well? And like, how do we name it? What do we say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, language is important. Having language is essential. So one of the first and main objectives I have with my clients is to give them language for their experience. And oftentimes when a client is describing an experience that they have and I offer that it sounds like grief, there's usually this 
shock mixed with relief mm. because their experience finally has a name. Yeah. And I think that's the starting place is to be able to name and identify our experiences for what they are. And oftentimes this label of grief, when we can put that on an experience, uh, it brings a sense of relief uh, that we didn't have before having that language. So first, if, if, as I'm thinking about this, there's so much that we are waiting for. It's not just, oh, I'm waiting for, you know, um, a spouse to arrive. It's like, I'm literally, I'm waiting for breakthrough. I'm waiting for healing. I'm waiting for friendship. I'm waiting for this job. There's so, we'll find ourselves in the course of life in so many waiting seasons. And sometimes the wait is, you know, bearable. And sometimes it's excruciating. And so you help you help put language around a new perspective and a new vision on on waiting. You reframe it. And so how do you like to define waiting? Mm-hmm. So just to jump back one step before I go there. So that that first step being naming what your current experience is and even taking inventory of all of the ways that you've defined waiting or defined your current experience. And then second step being going on the journey of reframing your waiting experience or Mm. redefining your waiting experience. I mean, to kind of put it in a slightly different context, when we think about Brene Brown and her work around vulnerability, she took a word like vulnerability that all of us kind of have an aversion to naturally, and she (laughs) redefined it in this way that it's a buzzword. We throw it around all the time and we're not as intimidated or scared to use it. So that was one of my objectives with waiting is, okay, let's first take inventory for how I've defined it and how I've related to it. And then let's go on the journey of reframing it and redefining it so it doesn't feel like this intimidating word to me anymore. That really, that's that's the process that I really hope to take people through is, Mm if waiting has felt like passivity or if it's felt like powerlessness, what does it look like to really reframe and redefine waiting to understand that it's not passivity? Mm. If you go to the definitions of waiting, you'll find every description is actually an empowering one. Um, So it's moving away from this association and idea that waiting means I'm passive. Waiting means I'm powerless. I'm really waiting means I'm actively participating in an empowered way in my life, in my relationships Mm -hmm. with God. So we have heard from Thervis Barb, but this is something that you don't just pontificate about. It's something that you've lived through as well. And so I kind of want to peel back the layers. You're passionate about talking about seasons of waiting because you've gone through some yourself. So what are those things that you're waiting for and how has it impacted your life? Uh, What practical handles did you discover that you are sharing with your clients and basically giving us free therapy because I love me some good free therapy. So Barb, break it down. What about you? Mm -hmm. So like all of us, I've experienced many different seasons of waiting, many different forms of waiting. But the season of waiting that's really challenged me the most, and I would venture to say I've learned the most through that season, has been waiting for a family of my own, waiting to get married, waiting to have children. And, you know, I was really intentional when I was working and writing this book that I'm sure we'll talk more about, but was to share my story 
but not in a way that would alienate other people if their stories of waiting looks different than mine. Because I think what unites us when we're talking about waiting is the, the feelings that we experience. All of us know what it's like to feel grief or disappointment, mm. to feel like life is out of our control. And that's where we meet. Like those are the grounds in which we meet mm. that yes, your story of waiting may look totally different than mine. You may be waiting for a physical breakthrough. You may be waiting for a restoration in a relationship. You may, may be waiting for your career to take off. You may not be waiting for a spouse and a family. And that's totally fine because what unites us is the feelings that we encounter when we're waiting. Yeah. And I think meeting on those grounds and being, there's like a, a term that we use in the therapeutic world is universality. So there's this universality of like, oh, we're all in this together. Our experiences may be unique, but we're all encountering some of the same feelings. So in in that in those seasons, those seasons of waiting, I think people. Uh, I'm actually I'm just just speak for myself. In seasons of waiting, I'm asking, how do I wait well? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I survive this without getting bitter, without getting angry, without getting frustrated? Or the big question that I'm seeing right now is walking away from my faith. Now, you are a woman of faith. You have a relationship with God. I know not everyone who listens to the podcast is a believer, but um, what practical handles did you discover in your season of waiting that you could share with me mm -hmm. in my season of waiting to make sure that I don't go south? Mm -hmm. Like I don't deconstruct myself, my life, my religion. Like mm -hmm. how do I remain me even if the answer is wait? Yeah. I mean, one thing that immediately stands out is the importance of community. Waiting by yourself is unbearable. Mm. And I think yeah. it's been really essential for me to wait in community because it's, I mean, it offers so many things. It's a safeguard. It's a sounding board. It's a support. Like our communities are such a practical, essential part of waiting well. There have been so many moments, like in, in the book, I, I talk about the anniversary effect. And we understand that language in the context of grief, which we've already established that if you're waiting, you're grieving. And every year, like on my birthday or New Year's Eve or these particular anniversaries, they will bring up grief. And one of the things that I talk about is how important my community has been in those moments. That's great. Um, to rally around me and to remind me of who I am, to remind me that I'm valuable and the waiting doesn't define me. It's a part of my current experience, but it's not who I am. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is a great point to pivot into. You're so passionate about putting practical handles around this and it giving us a redefining what waiting is. Uh, did you sense that God was calling you to write this? Did you sense that you just wanted a treaty so that you can share with other people who feel like they're in this season of waiting? What, what was the impetus? What's the why? What was your conviction? Mm, yeah. So initially I thought I would write this book when I was like all done waiting. And <laughs> when you have a white picket fence and three kids and a dog named Spot. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I was like, once I have a bow put on this part of my life, yeah. I will write this book looking back, you know, sharing all of my wisdom that I've gained along the way. <laughs> but that totally wasn't the way that it happened. And I wrote this book in process, like being yeah. a fellow waiter with the reader. And honestly, I'm really grateful for it. It felt much more vulnerable to write it in process rather than on the other side. 
But I think what I was able to communicate and the depth of feeling that I was able to communicate it with or by was completely different because I was in the process. So I'm excited for for people to read it because I think they'll they'll feel the difference yeah. of uh, reading these words from a person who hasn't arrived to the other side mm-hmm. of of what they're hoping for and longing for. So the motivation, so clearly you felt inclined to do this, but the motivation to persevere and also the motivation to make it feel different. I think one of the things that is really, I don't have a a tangible copy in my hands yet, it's coming. But one of the things that I love about this as an art major and someone who was passionate about art is that there's artwork in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, As someone who's a visual learner, I love when the left side of my brain and right side of my brain are simultaneously stimulated. But why did you decide to incorporate this into a book on waiting? Yeah. Yeah. So two things, because I realized there's one part to your last question I didn't, I didn't get to. And um, to answer kind of that part about why, why yeah. I was motivated to write it. I think I had gotten to this place in my waiting where the language around it, like the, the conversations around waiting just felt super shallow. And I, I was really bummed out by how shallow the language around, around waiting had become. It just felt like it was full of cliches. Like what? Like what? Even something, and I, I talk about this in the book, like God is working while you're waiting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But what in the world does that actually mean? Right. That's great for Pinterest, but is that good for my life? (laughs) A hundred percent. You know, it just felt hollow. It felt like clickbait. It didn't yeah. feel like it had something I could sink my teeth in, teeth into. So my hope for the book was to expand our language around waiting. Since it's something all of us are going to encounter, it's going to look different. It's going to going to yeah. take on different forms. But to just really uh, expand our language, expand our understanding about waiting, so that it there was some depth to it. And then when it came to the artwork. My vision for the book had always included this artwork. Mm-hmm. I think because the book has this really strong seasonal theme to it, because we all know that waiting in a winter season feels like feels different than waiting in a spring season, mm-hmm. summer season, fall season, and really wanting the art to bring that whole experience to life. And my friend Shailene, who's the artist, um, was able to do that so beautifully. And hopefully it feels like this real journey that the reader is moving through, not only through the words, but through the artwork. I love that. Okay. So if I speak about waiting, my perspective is going to be that from a pastor. Your perspective is that from a therapist. So when someone talks about waiting, I'm not discounting their words, but their perspective is going to be different. Your perspective is one as like a licensed clinical therapist. How has that influenced the book? What angles are you taking and what wisdom are you sharing that maybe I wouldn't or wouldn't even know how to communicate? Mm -hmm. So I've always been really passionate about the intersections of faith and mental health. And before I was a therapist, obviously I was a Christian and then blending these worlds together and just seeing that they can complement each other and they need to, they desperately need to. I think historically we've had them siloed off and it's not done us any favors. And so I think just generally 
I've been passionate about those intersections. And so really wanting to create something that honors those two worlds, yeah. those two parts of us, like the, the faith aspect of who we are and the mental health side of who we are around this topic of waiting, because waiting is deeply challenging. Waiting introduces us to all of these other things like control and uncertainty and, you know, fill in the blank. And those challenge our mental health equally as much as rather than, um, or as much as our faith. So I think just really trying to bring these worlds together in a way that that honors our experiences of waiting and yeah. honors us as a holistic person. I love that. So one of the things that we've discussed, and I've even read some of the stuff that you've written about the transformation that comes through waiting. I don't think that people think that there's a positive byproduct of waiting. You mm-hmm. differ. Will you talk to me a little bit about, can we be transformed through the act of waiting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes, I think because of the deep dive that I've done around waiting, mm-hmm. um, I can I can see and I can communicate that there is such a powerful byproduct of waiting. The reality is is that all of us will be waiting, and not all of us have to or can benefit from waiting. It makes me think of, you know, age is not synonymous with wisdom. You could be 90 years old and um, maybe not possess the wisdom that a 14-year-old has. Very true. So I think how we engage our waiting is really important. So the waiting has the potential to transform us. And I think if we can can be brave and vulnerable and honest to lean into the wait and do what we said earlier to name to name all of the ways that I've defined waiting, um, all of the things that I've associated with it, and then go on the journey of reframing it, redefining it, reorienting yourself to it, because waiting is a, a very disorienting experience. Mm-hmm. And so if we can reorient ourselves to waiting, then we position ourselves differently. Then we can grow in vulnerability. We can grow in honesty. We can move away from this kind of formulaic way of thinking like, okay, I do A, you do B, God, and then I get C and we're good to go. (laughs) Shouldn't it be that way, Barb? Come on. (laughs) And that's so human. I mean, there's, I talk about that so much in the book because that's how I operated with God for so long. And the problem was, is that when my formula didn't check out, when I would do A, God wouldn't do B and I was left waiting for C and it wasn't there. I was so frustrated and disappointed and angry. Mm. Um, So the transformation that comes from waiting is available. It does require us to be brave and to be courageous and to do some work, honestly, to name what's here, to reframe it, to redefine it and Again, that just positions us differently to experience our waiting seasons um, in a transformative way. So what are some misconceptions or maybe misguided thoughts or teachings that we have been told or trained on when it comes to waiting that might trip us up in the process of waiting? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one part of it could be like what we were saying before, just these kind of platitudes (laughs) that or these kind of like empty sayings that, I mean, they there's truth to them, but 
they they're I think they can feel hollow. And so we may, you know, subscribe to, you know, the, what I said before, like, you know, God is working while I'm waiting. It's like, okay, but like, do I, is that really giving me what I need to wait well? Or hmm. is that kind of an empty thing that I tell myself? So I, I think expanding your understanding and your language in around waiting so that it really equips you to get through it because I mean, waiting is just hard. And then I think the other misguided ideas is just the way that we can put God in our lives and ourselves in a box and kind of what I was saying before about that linear thinking. I think in any area of our lives, if we're trying to create formulas, we're putting things in boxes, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment because God often works outside of those formulas, outside of those boxes. So again, it's just this opportunity to engage the waiting differently, really engaging your life differently, moving away from this A plus B equals C to this, okay, maybe the boxes give me a greater sense of control, Mm. but that control ends up controlling me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There actually isn't freedom in that box. There isn't freedom in that formula. And God is like, so the, the subtitle to the book is an invitation to hope. And and so there's this kind of invitation, not just to hope, but to transformation, to vulnerability, to courage, to to all of these other things, inviting people outside of those boxes, outside of those formulas, because that's how the disappointment intensifies. Um, so hopefully that all makes sense. No, it totally does. And totally does. And you've already mentioned this, but I think one of the things that you and I had discussed was what are some of the pitfalls that we experience while waiting? You've alluded to a couple, but I just want to make sure that it's so clear because mm-hmm. I think unintentionally we fall into these pitfalls without realizing it. And mm-hmm. I just want people to be like, hey, open your eyes. There's a pit in front of you. Be careful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going back to the community aspect a big pitfall would be trying to navigate the way alone. Mm. Some of which I've, you know, referenced, I mean, the pitfalls of that formula, formula thinking, it's going to trip you up every time because there's one of the the devotions that I talk about or that I wrote about is about assumption. And I think assumption can really trip us up. Um, We assume God is going to work a certain way or we assume things are going to look a certain way or even feel a certain way. And oftentimes life plays out or unfolds differently than we would have expected it to. So I would say doing the wait alone is a real pitfall. You don't have to wait alone. Waiting in community is essential and moving away from assumption, opening your mind and your heart to things unfolding differently than you would have expected. And again, I know how challenging it is because I've, I've lived that. I am living that. Um, I know how challenging it is, but I would say assumption will get you every time. One of the things that I love and I'm excited about this project is that when people take a topic like waiting, it becomes almost kind of like a manual or a how-to or a self-help book. And that's, though your book does help us, um, the devotional approach to this feels very doable. It's almost like you were taking like a a process and we're unpacking it just a little bit by a little bit. And then there's artwork that's there as well. So what is... I, before we wrap up, I just have to ask the question from your heart as someone who is in the season of waiting and has studied waiting, researched waiting, has now written about waiting. What is the thing that you want the reader, what do you want us to walk away from knowing about waiting? 
Well, first I want the reader to feel validated about how disorienting the experience of waiting is. Mm. I mean, when I think about my work as a therapist, the first objective I have is to validate their experience, to validate how they're feeling, to validate how hard it is to encounter the challenges that they're encountering. And then second to that, to be able to see waiting differently than they have before. So if they felt like waiting is synonymous with passivity, that, oh, I'm waiting, so that means I I can't really do anything. I just have to be passive in this process and kind of just wait for things to come to fruition or come full circle, because that's really disempowering. If we feel like we have to be passive, then it hands over all of the power and control to something, someone else. It's outside of you. It's not in you. And I mean, when we think about faith, like God, Jesus, especially throughout the gospels, he was constantly empowering his disciples. Like if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, this is all that you can do. Like this is what's possible. And so I guess the greatest hope that I have for the reader is first to feel really validated, feel seen and understood. And second to that, to see that waiting does not have to be a passive experience and it doesn't have to be a powerless one either, that they can be an active participant in their waiting seasons, whether that's towards themselves, towards others, towards God. Yeah, that's what I would hope the most for for the readers. I, I love this. Uh, you know, one of the things, whether it's been us traveling to Israel together or you feeling comfortable enough to call me when your mom was in the mm-hmm. hospital with COVID and diagnosis was really bleak or whether it was on the book tour together or going to church or working in the office, whatever it was, I just feel like you are a woman of your words. Mm-hmm. And when you speak and when you write, it's super intentional and what people don't even know, and I feel like it has to be said, when you talk about waiting, it's waiting with experience and waiting with grace because I got the times wrong. I we, we I put in my calendar four o'clock, but it was four o'clock my time and it was actually two o'clock your time. And I got this, I got the calendar request wrong and you've been at your office waiting for this interview. And I, what my hope is, is that there has not been any pitfalls in waiting, that you are transformed as you lead this, that there is community, not just on the call with us, but there's a community of people who are waiting to celebrate your birthday with you. And I, Barb, I have stood by you in faith, believing that we will see the goodness of God in the land of living. And I don't know what that looks like. I hope it's family. Irregardless of the outcome, I'm just standing with you and believing and testifying to the person that you are today is transformed from the person that I know years ago. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I want people to get this book. I believe in this project. It's not even a book. It's like, it is. It's like, it's like an art book and it's a devotional and it's wisdom. And uh, you did such a good job at making this feel fresh and new. And I can't wait for people to get their hands on it. They can pre-order. The link is going to be in, uh, in the show notes, as well as I'll be giving away four copies of Barb's book, um, Mm -hmm. to people who tag you on social media and me so I could see it because I believe in this message and I can't wait for this message to get into the hands of people. You are an expert waiter. And now I can't wait to see what God does through your words and your wisdom. Any closing thoughts that you want readers or people who are in a season of waiting to know? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you, Bianca, for those words. And just thinking of the community aspect that I've talked about, 
you have been such an, uh, an essential part of my community through my seasons of waiting. So I didn't want that moment to pass without saying that. One of the first things that I address in the book is that the waiting is not your fault. There is so much shame that we feel the longer we wait and we start to buy into these lies that the waiting is our fault. And although all of us can grow deeper in wholeness and health and transformation, I really hope that whoever gets their hands on this book can remove the shame that may have attached itself to their seasons of waiting, that they can wait without shame. I love that. It's beautiful. Barbara Hill, I love you a forever friend, and I'm grateful uh, for your time today. Happy birthday. Go enjoy mm-hmm. your birthday meal. I appreciate you, and I can't wait to see what God does with this book. Aww, thanks, Bianca. I love you. Thanks for listening into this week's episode. I hope you love Barb as much as I do. For more information, you can check out her website or follow her along on social media. As always, tag her on social media and let her know what you learned in your seasons of waiting. As always, we encourage you, if this podcast is something that you enjoy, consider subscribing, downloading, or leaving a positive review. You can subscribe at Access More or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much, friends. Can't wait to connect next week. Music.